Welcome to the Renaissance Podcast, and thank you for joining with us to worship and learn more about God. We are so excited to have you be a part of this week's service. For more podcasts and services from past weeks, or to join us online on Sunday mornings, check out the Church at Home page at rendicator.org. Now, enjoy the message. Good morning, Ren family. How you doing? Okay, smokers and jokers, so I can get this stuff off. So I'm, I'm willing to look a fool to get you guys to come out, whether you're watching online, whether you're here in the room. You just might see something on your seat that looks a little bit like this. Uh, sign yourself up, sign somebody else up. Let us know uh, if you, how many people you come in. Fathers, bring your sons. Uh, it's going to be a great night of barbecue. Smokers and jokers for you Tom Petty, pa- Tom Petty fans. Should I say? Um, we're talking about meat, so there will be no plants consumed um, <laughs> this Saturday. Uh, it's, it's meat. Uh, so we're, we're going to have a good time. I just want to invite you all out. And uh, is that, that, that's sufficient. I think that's good. That's good. Um, so this has been kind of a big weekend for, for my family. We, um, Jen's been working on a book for the last several years, and uh, she was able to release it this weekend. Uh, yes. So she's got it. Um, it's on, it's on Amazon. It's available. Um, listen, if it, it's a story of, of hope, finding hope in the midst of sorrow, finding hope in the midst of grief. So if you need it, if you've suffered loss, if you've walked through a hard season, if, if you went through a, a painful divorce, uh, if you walked through a, a, a dark time in your life, this is a book for you. If you need it, you can have it. If you want it, you can buy it and give it to somebody who needs it. So if you need it, you can have it. Just uh, talk to one of us and we'll get it to you. We just want that, that healing message and that hope, that story of hope to, to go out to as many people as possible. So um, big weekend of celebrating. We went to Portillo's. I don't know anybody, any fans? of. Yeah. Come on. So we had some, uh, some nice meat there as well. Um, but I get the privilege today of starting our, our new series, First John. Now this is... Uh, um, there's, there's going to be a few friends sprinkled in here and there. It's going to be guest speakers. But for the lion's share of the messages, we will be walking through 1 John. So just imagine, if you will, for a little bit, just being able to sit and hear from the last man standing. You're able to hear from the last of the apostles, right? The, the last of the apostles that walked with Jesus, right? He heard his teachings. He witnessed his miracles firsthand. He traveled with Jesus Right? Have you ever traveled with, uh, with friends before? Like you had these friends and then you went on that, that first trip with them and you're like, oh, maybe we should re- rethink this friend thing. <laughs> so Jesus, he spent time with Jesus, like not, maybe not 24-7 because we, we see in scripture where Jesus pulled away, but, but he spent significant time, the, the, the major share of that three and a half years um, he's spending with, with Jesus and they walk together. And that's what we have the privilege of doing is hearing from this John. So we're going to hear of one of the sons of thunder. Come on, sounds like a, any wrestling fans out there? It sounds like a, ta- pre- yeah, it sounds like a pretty great tag team. Sons of thunder in this corner. That was all for, that was just for Joe, just so you know, that was just for Joe. But it's a, it's a nickname, it's a moniker, uh, likely given in, in tongue in cheek, because I don't know if you remember the story, but there's this Samaritan village that it uh, doesn't receive. They're not responsive to the message of Jesus, right? And and the brothers, James and John, they want to call down fire. That's their response. 
Like you don't want to hear the, the words of Jesus. I want you to, to, to call, do you want us to call down fire and burn them like Elijah style? Like let's just, let's just burn them up. And Jesus gives them the name, sons of thunder. And, and he works through it. So this is the same John who had this mother, listen, right before Jesus is about to die. Jesus is telling him, listen, I'm, I'm going to go and I'm going to suffer and I'm going to die. And so J- James and John, they have their mother go to Jesus and say, hey, uh, when you enter your kingdom, can one of my sons sit at your right and one sit at your left? So this is a John who is very like quick to judge, quick to bring fire down on these people that aren't, they don't want to believe your message, let's burn them. This is a John who's like, I want recognition. I want to make a, a name for myself. It is an interesting that when he writes his letter, he doesn't name himself. He, so in this letter, he's not going to name himself. In his, his gospel, his biographical account of Jesus' life, he doesn't name himself. He, he, when he talks about himself, he just says the disciple whom Jesus loved, which, you know, may, may be a little nod to, hey, I, I might have been Jesus' favorite, but, but he doesn't name himself. So, like, check out that, that character arc that we're leading. Instead, he becomes known as the apostle of love. That's how we come to know the Apostle John, not as a son of thunder. That one didn't stick, right? Not as the one who was, who was seeking that, that name and that recognition, that position with Jesus. But he goes from that all the way to the Apostle of love. And this is who we get to learn from. And yes, it was, it was love for the Lord. You'll, you'll see that throughout his writings. But also his main focus was love for one another, that we would love one another. So we're going to hear these words of a father speaking to a family. It's like this, with this grandfatherly type tenderness, right? He's most likely at, at this point, 80 to 85 years old, maybe older. Like they, they've said that he, he lived uh, up to a hundred. And for, fourth century theologian Jerome would, would write this concerning John. The blessed John the evangelist lived in Ephesus until extreme old age. His disciples could barely carry him to the church and he could muster the voice uh, to speak not many words, but during individual gatherings, he usually said nothing but this, little children love one another. The disciples and brothers in attendance, annoyed because they had heard the same words, they finally said, teacher, why do you always say this? And he replied with a line worthy of John, because it is the Lord's commandment, and if it alone is kept, it is sufficient. Love one another. And you might kind of rear back, maybe a little bit like I did. Come on, I, like, I can't be the main thing. But then I remembered the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 22, starting in verse 36, it said, teacher, which is the great commandment of the laws? They're questioning him. And he said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So in John speaking to his churches, Little children love one another. At this point, the church would be, be around 60 years old in its history. And this writing comes, this letter of 1 John comes as this second major wave of, of false teaching and heresy is hitting the church. So John is, is, is writing from the city of Ephesus. Jerusalem has been destroyed at this point. Ephesus was the intellectual capital of Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey, and it was this very influential city that you remember we talked about a couple months back. And it would be out of Ephesus that seven other churches in Asia Minor were established. And John at this time is the apostle at this writing that is going to be the overseer of those seven churches. So to make a, a full connect, these are the same seven churches 
that he writes in Revelation. He writes to those seven churches in the beginning of the book of Revelation. So he would oversee these seven churches, but his home is most likely in Ephesus. So imagine John, this apostle, being in your church. Or imagine him being in your small group. How crazy would that be? Well, for, for this next season, we, we're going to get to sit at his feet, so to speak. Right? We're going to uh, kick off this first John. It's going to differ from a lot of the writings because you would, you would remember uh, Paul as he writes. He's, he's pretty eloquent. He's very structured. He's got these deep theological dissertations that he's writing and he's very disciplined in his writing style. You can outline him. He's well-educated. It's more like he's arguing in this, in this courtroom, but not John. John writes more like a father, like he's given this message to his family. And to many, they would call him his, their spiritual father. And his words, as, as we read, you'll hear that they're tender and they're affectionate. But, but he doesn't exactly always mince words either. John's very direct and simple. We're going to get in, into it, and, and John's going to say, if you say you love the Lord, but you don't love your brother, you're a liar. So he does get very direct, and he is very simple, and he doesn't beat around the bush. Paul would, would wax eloquent, right? But not, not, not John. John's going to be pretty, pretty straight and to the point. You usually know exactly what he's talking about, exactly what he's writing. And he often calls them, he'll use this phrase, my little children. And this is not demeaning any way. He's not saying, oh, little children. But this is the way like a father would. He's very affectionate and very caring, very, very tender. My little children. He's showing that, that tenderness towards those who, who are going to read this letter. So there was this, this, this first wave of false teaching, this first wave of, of heresy, and that was legalism. And when you read through the book of Acts, you see that was early on in the church, and they dealt with it. And here's this second wave of heresy or false teaching, this major wave of teaching that would, would be known and, and grow into what is known as Gnosticism. And that Gnostic really meaning uh, the root of knowledge. So, and why is, why is all this important? It's important because we need to read this letter in this light, in this context, and know that what exactly is John addressing here. And he would be writing to them about this heresy, correcting some of the false teaching and as the churches began to, to split over this. And so this is John writing to the community of believers as his loving father. And he, does, he, he says these four main things. I'm writing to you that your joy may be full. And he would use that phrase, I'm writing to you just so you, don't, yeah, you know exactly why I'm writing. I'm writing these things that your joy may be full. I'm writing these things that you may not sin. I'm writing these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. And I'm writing these things so that you know that you have eternal life. So the, the secessionists or the, those, those that are trying to secede from or pull away, think of uh, the southern states that tried to secede from the United States. Those uh, are the ones that are pulling away uh, and John, they're, they're believing things like this. They're, they're believing, um, we grow into this Gnostic thought that all material and all physical is evil. That flesh is evil, that the body is evil, that, that nothing material is good. They would believe things that, that the, the spirit is good, that the spiritual world is good, but everything physical is evil. So, so it would lead to, so do whatever you want with your body. God doesn't really care about the physical. It's what you believe spiritually. And others, they were, they were believing that if you deny your flesh enough, you will eventually reach this state of, of sinless perfection. There were some believing that once you were saved or divine, that you would you'd have immunity to sin. You would never sin 
again. And you might, even as I'm saying this, hear some of, of the, the Christian thread that's, that's a little bit there, but not all the way. And this is what John is, is responding to. They would abuse their Christian f- freedom, right? They're, they're believing that they can live any way they would like. And so John's writing to correct some of these heresies and some of these false teachings. And some of this is, is really, you'll, you'll notice it, it bleeds into our Christian practice today. So the bird's eye view of, of 1 John are, are, are those four purposes. It can really be summed up, I think, in this phrase. As your joy in Christ becomes more full, you will find yourself sinning less, able to discern more, and you will have the confidence and assurance of eternal life. I'll say it again. As your joy in Christ becomes more full, you will find yourself sinning less, able to discern more, and you will have the confidence and assurance of eternal life. So now you can see why John is probably writing this to, to the church to combat the heresy, but so that they would know. They would, they would know. They would be sure of their eternal life. Now, he's writing as a father, so we can't just leave it at that. I don't know if uh, any other fathers in here um, are familiar with dad-splaining. Um, like it, it just takes a little bit more to color it in and to, to fill, it all, fill it all out. My, my kids love it when I sit them down and dad-splain to them why they're in trouble or why they're not to do that or, or what, I, what, what they are to do. And so um, ask my kids about the dad lectures that they get. And they just, they, they really love them. They just, like to, they just like to sit at my feet and learn and grow. And it's just uh, such, a great, such a great relationship we have. But, uh, so let's, get, let's jump into it. Verse 1 of 1 John. You ready? All right. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. See, what you notice is there's no greeting here. There's no, there's no opening like, like we talked about. John's not saying this is the, the apostle John that is writing to you. Um, he, he, he's not for the, the name recognition. And this begins, if you're familiar with the gospel, his biographical account of Jesus' life, the gospel of John, he begins very similar to that. John would read, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. But here he's saying, this is what, that was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen, which we have touched, which we've looked upon. Right? He, he's, he's getting to the point that Christ has always existed. Right? He's directly uh, addressing that heresy because the Gnostics, they would, they would believe that Jesus didn't have that physical body, that he was just this phantom spirit. But we know that in, in his 33 years of life, Jesus suffered rejection. He suffered persecution. He suffered bodily injury and thirst and fatigue and loneliness, verbal, physical abuse, right? He had to deal with, all right, those, those stupid friends that, that may or may not have had the best intentions and stupid friends with self-serving intentions, right? And finally, he, he, he had that excru- excruciating death at the hands of sinful men, right? In the garden of Gethsemane, and on the cross, he felt all of our pains, our afflictions, our temptations, our sickness, and infirmities. He very much had a physical body. He felt pain, and he experienced joy. So why, why, is, why is this important? Because there are some essential truths of Christianity, the very cornerstone of our faith that were being violated. Right? The, the virgin birth of Jesus was being brought into question. Like the deceivers, the opponents here, they were teaching that Jesus wasn't physical. 
that he was just this phantom spirit. And some believe that the, the divine uh, spirit would descend upon Jesus at, at Jesus' baptism. So I don't know if you remember the, the, the story of Jesus' baptism by, the, by John the Baptist, that he, uh, when he came up out of the water, that the spirit descended on him as a dove. And they would say that that's when Jesus became divine in such a way that the human Jesus is to be distinguished from the divine Jesus. So they were denying that Jesus was the Christ that had come in flesh. Because remember, flesh is bad. So these opponents, these, these deceivers, they, they, they thought that through their baptism, through their baptismal initiation, that they too had received that divine spirit. So they, being born of God through their baptism, enjoyed immunity from sin. So you can see how they're, they're getting to the place where it's like, what, what do you need Jesus for? What do you need Jesus if I'm immune from sin and at my baptism I'm divine just like Jesus was at his baptism? So they, Jesus was a, a, at most an example, but he's, he wasn't physical. So they discounted his commandments. They discounted his flesh and his blood being of importance. So they're devaluing the, that person and that work of Jesus. And they had their own, like they had their own special experience with God and they would lean heavily on that. So their fellowship, they would say, was with God. Human relationships then were, were not important. Love for God, but not love for one another. And John was saying this. He's saying, I was there. I have seen it with my eyes. I've heard the words of Jesus. I've touched with my hands. I've looked upon. I have fully examined. If you remember, John was one of the closest three. Right? He was one that was invited with Peter, James, and John on, on these, these special things. Like he would go up the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus. That's where Jesus would meet in a cloud with Moses and, and Elijah and the Father, right? He accompanied Jesus into the room where the girl that was dead is brought to life. Like he got to witness those things. Jesus took Peter, James, and John further into the garden. They went to the garden to pray, and he takes Peter, James, and John in further as Jesus is having that crisis moment of saying, God, if, if you could take this cup from me, looking at the cross, if you could take this from me, we could do it any other way, but not my will, but yours be done. John was there. So John has this close-up view of Jesus' life. He knows he was flesh. He knows he was blood. And that's probably why he takes it upon himself to take such a, a harsh stance against these false teachers and against this heresy that is happening. John was the, the one that sat at the, at the cross when Jesus was being crucified. And Jesus would look down from the cross and he would say to Mary, his mother, Mary, behold your son. And he would say to John, Behold your mother. He was giving John the responsibility for his mom because he was going away. So this John is one who walked with Jesus. Entrust, Jesus entrusted his mom to him after he, he died. This John, that John, that's who, who, is, who is bringing this, this letter. Imagine, right, if I was immune to sin at my baptism, I had that special connection, that special relationship with God. Then the sacrifice of Jesus is for nothing. The way of salvation is longer, no longer through Jesus' flesh and blood. It's not needed. But I, I, I remember the words of Jesus in John 6. Right? Verse 33 he says, Unless you eat the flesh and drink the blood of the Son of Man, you have new life. You have no life. Unless you eat the flesh and drink the blood of the Son of Man, you have no life. And Jesus, of course, is speaking of his impending death and resurrection. 
But they're trying to say his, his physical, his flesh and blood makes no difference. But John's gospel account is, is, is quite possibly addressing some of these false teachings as well because it's written around the same time. And so maybe it's John saying, man, I want you to be grounded. Like not many people are living to be as old as I am. I want you to be grounded. So before I die, I'm going to make sure. Because the Matthew, Mark, and Luke had already been written. Right? And the church is now in its around 60 years of, of history. And John is older now at this point. And so he's, he's writing this letter and he's writing the gospel. And he's saying, okay, here's what you need to know. I was there. I've tasted. I've seen. I've touched. I've looked upon. I've fully examined this Jesus. Without his flesh and without his blood, without his sacrifice, we don't have anything. We don't have life. So the question is, if God is just and God is righteous, if he just forgives your sin, is he just, is he just? If he just looks over your sin, if he just covers it, is he righteous? And to illustrate, I just want you to imagine a, a courtroom. And in that courtroom is, is someone who has is, is murdered a loved one, a husband, a wife, a, a, a daughter, a friend. And you're sitting in that courtroom and the judge is about to, they're guilty and they're about to render judgment. And that judge, being the, the good judge that he is, walks out of the courtroom with his arm around the murderer and says, you're free to go, you're, you're forgiven. Would he be just? Would you feel like that justice had been, been served, justice had happened? No, he wouldn't, he wouldn't be just. And if he just said, you're guilty, but we're just going to cover over, would he, would he be a righteous judge? So you and I, we, we are that, that murderer, and Jesus didn't just forgive our sins. Did he forgive our sins? Absolutely. Jesus didn't just cover our sins. Did he cover our sins? Absolutely. But Jesus came and he stood in our place. He took the punishment that you and I deserve. If we're not believing that Jesus' vicarious death in our place, vicarious in our place, has any value, then we've taken away that God is just and that God is righteous. Jesus came and he came in flesh and he came in blood and he lived a life that you and I could never live of perfection and he died a death in our place. He died a death that we deserve in our place. The spilling of his blood and the breaking of his flesh has the utmost importance and has the utmost value. It is everything for him to come in flesh needed to happen. It had to happen and he loved us enough to do it, that he would have that relationship with us. So they, they, they got something right, that we would have fellowship with God. So it's little pieces of truth. But this is, as John's saying, this is what I, I witnessed. I witnessed the life and the death of, of Jesus. I've seen it, I've heard it, I've looked upon it. I've touched it with my hands. How dare you proclaim it any other way? Let's move on to verse two. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testify to it. He says it again. We've seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. So he again, he shows that Jesus was from the beginning, right? That which was with the Father 
was revealed, was made manifest to us. So we've seen it, and this thing that we talk about, it's because we've seen it, we've, t- we've touched it. So the deceivers, they would say, the opponents, the false teachers, they would say that they have that secret knowledge, that special revelation. And John is showing, no, no, Jesus' life, his death, his burial, his resurrection, it was not hidden in a corner. It was not done in secret. It was made manifest. That word manifest means this. It means render apparent, revealed openly. Think of it as, as it was used uh, to describe an exhibit that was open to the public, like, like a museum. Jesus was revealed to all and made available to all. He was on full display. And he doesn't, he doesn't charge at his museum, by the way. So Jesus was the, the father made manifest or put on display for us. And it's Jesus that leads to eternal life. Verse three, that which we have seen. Do you, do you get that John is saying, hey, let, listen, I saw it. I'm testifying to you the thing that I've seen. This is the third time he said I've seen it. I've seen it. And I've heard this thing that which we have seen and we've heard we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. He wants to have fellowship with us. But that word fellowship is, is uh, koinonia in the Greek. And it doesn't have one English word to describe it, but it means this. It means unity. It means partnership. It means partaker in. It means commonality. Right? This is doing life together in Christian community. We're part of the body of Christ. Right? We grow better together alongside one another. It's fellowship with one another and with God. So Jesus commanded love God and to love people. He didn't, he didn't separate them. And John would actually take this word fellowship. This wasn't his word. If you, if you read any of his other letters, Revelation, the Gospel of John, he doesn't use koinonia. He doesn't use fellowship anywhere. This isn't his, his vernacular. This isn't a word that he would typically use. This is the only time that he uses koinonia in his writings. But he would, he would take it and he would twist it. He would take their word because that, that was the word that they would use. We've got koinonia with God. We don't need relationship with you. Flesh is bad. So we've got this special relationship, special fellowship with God. And John would take that and say, oh, no, no. We have fellowship with you and with the Father and with the Son. John says, what we we proclaim is what we have seen, and we have fellowship. And by the way, our fellowship is with the Father and His Son, Jesus. Verse 4 says, we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. We're writing these things so that our joy, your joy, it really means all of our joy, may be complete or may be full. If you're only telling half of it, that you got this special relationship with God, it's, it's not the complete story. It's not the, the fullness of, of what God is and what he offers to you. It's not the, the fullness of everything. So I, I really want to use the words of, of Jesus, who I think um, illustrates this the best. And so we're going to read portions of John 15. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. 
Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. These things I command you so that you love one another. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. It's one of our, our core things here at, at Renaissance. <laughs> it's all about Jesus. You cannot discount, devalue Jesus. You can't just uh, live a good life. You can't just say it's, it's just about my relationship with God and not love others. It's all about Jesus. And we, we are able to love others because we're connected. He says apart from this connection that we would have to Jesus, we can't do anything. Further, Jesus would say, I, I, my desire for you is that you would be one with me like I'm one with the Father. That's the fellowship that Jesus taught about, and that's the fellowship that John is, is getting back to. I remember growing up in church, and we had a fellowship hall. Anybody else? It was a, it was a potluck. It's a place where you, you met, right? It, that word meant nothing to me. Fellowship Hall is a place where we get food from weird houses. Like, I don't know. I hope they don't have cats. I, eh, I don't know. <laughs> Being a, a youth pastor, a girl, and uh, Jen and I driving, and there's a girl in the back coming back from an, an event, and she's like, man, I really love the fellowship. She didn't even know how to, how to pronounce it, right? So maybe that's you as you're reading it. This morning, like, you're like, oh, it's fellowship. I thought it was fellowship. <laughs> like, right, we, we read those words, and they can, happen, they can mean nothing to us. But that is everything. And so John is taking their word, that special fellowship that you think that you have that's secret and, and just that knowledge that you would have about the relationship with God. Listen, it was on full display in the person and life of Jesus. It was made manifest. It was revealed. It was made known he who was with the Father from eternity past was made known to us through the person of Jesus. And his life and his death meant everything. And was he physical? Oh yeah, he was physical. I touched him. I lived with him. I walked with him. I've seen him. I've heard his words. Fellowship with him allows us to have fellowship with others. And then John's gonna say, if you say you love God, Right? Think of it in that context. If you say you love God and you don't love your brother, you're a liar. You can't have a relationship with God and not have a relationship with people. You can't have a relationship with God and not love others. Or you got a question, what's my relationship with God really like? We love one another because... Do we need more... More proof because he first loved us. Like it's all over scripture. 
and they were getting off that teaching. He's writing to correct. And we can so easily get off too. We can think it's about our good behavior. We can think it's just as long as me and God are straight, only God will judge me. Well, it's just about my relationship with God. <laughs> Joe was telling me this morning, it was like, the, uh, is it John or James? John Belushi in the Blues Brothers. He's like, me and God, we got this uh, special relationship. We got this special thing worked out. We can't love God and not love others. It's part of the deal. Love one another. I'm not going to call you little children because I'm not that old. But I'll let John say it to you. My little children. If he was here and they carried him in as he's old and he's gray and he's got all this experience and all this knowledge and all this wisdom to give, the words that he's going to say to you, frail as they may be, is my little children. Love one another. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you that you would allow John to live long enough that he would be able to correct these, this heresy and these false teachings, God, that you would allow John to speak those words to us, to encourage us, that we are to, to love one another, that we are to be in fellowship with, with you, yes, but that doesn't mean anything if we don't love one another. God, that we would take this as a, as a, as a charge and a challenge this morning. God, that we would be in, re in, in relationship with, with one another. We would see that loving a lost world, loving our friends, loving our church as the utmost. How can we hold what you have freely given to us? God, that we would take your flesh and blood that was poured out for us and make that the main thing and make that the motivation that causes us to go out from here and love those around us. God, as we just go back into this next song to, to honor you, to worship you, we pray that you would be exalted in our praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining with us today. We would love to pray for you and make a connection with you. So please check out the Church at Home page at rendicator.org. Here you can ask questions, request prayer, find past messages and podcasts, or support Renaissance through online giving. We can't wait to hear from you. 